0: hey guys uh Jack Tucker welcome to the omnipresence podcast uh, this week we have vix Hill Ryder, who is a forager and all round community spirited person with such a great ethos and so many great ideas about so much knowledge about like so much so much fleeting knowledge that is just so Unaccessible today, so that's why I think her. That's why I think she's a really important guest, and why I think she's a really important person in general, and someone who should be. Someone who should be, really looked up to and modelled for her. What she does, and yeah, she was great. We didn't have the longest conversation. I'd love to get her back on again, and have a have another one. It came to like kind of a natural conclusion. Which was nice. Um, It wasn't my best ever podcast, I must admit. I'm still getting used to hosting. (laughs) And there was, like, times where I kind of felt like... There were times where I was, like, thinking about the next question when I should have been listening to her more. So I apologise if I didn't get the best out of her. Although I still think you'll get a lot from this podcast. And I think... If you're interested in it, then you should check out her business, which is a community interest company. It's extremely cheap and affordable. And you can go out and learn how to forage here in Cornwall. And there's so much food that you can pick. I had no idea about the extent of wild foods all year round. And we're just going and buying leaves when there's more nutritious, more natural, free food literally on the floor. And instead, we're getting uh, chemical-laden, plastic-packaged, Food from monoculture and supporting industries that aren't great, so yeah, hope you enjoy the podcast and please leave us a uh please leave us a review on iTunes, please subscribe to us on youtube, and yeah, we're hoping to grow the platform and speak to some really cool people. We hope you get something out of it um it's really fun so far, talking to people and learning and absorbing and having a chance to. Having a chance to have a say in in stuff and put my opinions across, I'm really enjoying that. So yeah, enjoy the podcast. This is Free Food Forever with Vic's Hill Rider. God bless. Tell me how you got into foraging.
1: Um, how I got into it? Uh, I wouldn't say it was something I got into, it was just something I was born into really. I was very, very fortunate. Um, I grew up here. So I'm from the Rain Peninsula and I'm from a low-income family. So when I was born, my parents pretty much as soon as they could had to pass me to my grandparents. They could go and work full-time just to sort of pay the rent and make a living. So from my earliest memories are all with my granddad in particular. Um, And he's a local boy, so is my grand. Um, My grand's still alive. He died in 2009, sadly. But um, we used to live outdoors. He was the District Commissioner Scout Leader for South East Cornwall so I was always hanging out with the scouts or doing recce walks with him finding uh, things for the scouts to do and he was really great at just naturally seeing the landscapers, not just the landscape and something beautiful to explore but as food and as a food source Um, and he was a gardener as well so he was just, he was very self-sufficient in his lifestyle with what he with what they ate so I kind of grew up just thinking it was normal to collect seafood from the beach or (coughs) excuse me Plants like sorrel from the hedgerow, which would help quench your thirst if you were thirsty. So that was sort of how I was brought up. How did he know all of this stuff? I don't really know. I never asked him, you know. I never asked him how wow. he knew, but he was a really great gardener. So most of the his food knowledge came from planting things in the soil. Yeah. Um, and he grew everything, you know, and used to sell what he grew on his doorstep wow. locally to the community. And my gran actually still does always have little bits left on the doorstep for people to how put lovely. money in a pot. Um, but I don't know, I never really said to him, hey, and I wish I had, you know, yeah. I really wish I had spent time to ask him these questions. Yeah. Um, but then my dad became a lecturer of horticulture at Plymouth College. So when we used to go for walks as a family on a Sunday, he used to tell us all the Latin names of the plants in the hedgerow. And, you know, that was part of what we did every every week. So we were getting this botanical knowledge put into us, yeah. not really thinking we were receiving an education. It was just something we did. As a family, yeah. <clears throat> and I just, I guess, I just realized that I preferred plants to people. I always say that, you know. I I grew up in a in this small community. I was always very alternative and looked a little bit different and was always head in a book. And I just found that plants were my people. You know, I could talk, you know, talk to the plants, harvest the plants, sit with them. There was never any judgment <laughs> from mm. from that kind of entity. Um, and they just that's that's how I got into wild food and and botany because I fell in love with the hedgerow basically from an early wow. age. Yeah, so
2: awesome. Yeah, so nice. Like, how much of your diet now is wild foods?
1: Depending on the time of year, so now there's it's I would say about 70% wild. Wow, this time time of year, year, yeah, this is one of the best times to forage. So, we're now February and we've got all the um, young green shoots coming up out of the ground, which are salad ingredients. We've got all the roots which are ready to harvest, which were for like, for example. Alexander roots which you use very similar to parsnips or a potato starch you've got a good carbohydrate starch in the ground all the seaweeds are at their finest at the moment which has pretty much every nutrient that you need to survive including protein Um, so they're all fresh and ready to go how do they
2: taste the seaweeds
1: depending on which one you pick they all taste slightly different but um, it's a bit like pasta Oh, wow. So if you stop seeing seaweed as a plant and more as, more as a carbohydrate and a, and a pasta, yeah. then your world in the kitchen just opens up completely. Awesome. Um, so things like kelp, you can use like lasagna sheets um, or cut into taglatelli strips, which is nice. And then there's also surprisingly things like herbs that are seaweeds too. So if you look at the dose at the moment, which is really long and ready to harvest, when you taste that... Raw, fresh, it's a cross between lemon, pepper, and oysters. So, if you're wanting to make like a vegan oyster sauce for a Chinese dish, you would pick the pepper dose and mash it up with ginger and garlic and soy sauce. And wow. all of a sudden, you've got oyster sauce, which is vegan. Wow. So, you know, there are people saying, you know, what's out there to eat now? There must be nothing. The trees are bare. Yeah. But actually, when you start foraging and you get into it, you start to open your eyes and slow down. And actually, what you have there is just masses and masses of food. Wow. Which is not covered in chemicals and not covered in plastic. Yeah. You, you just have to be confident and and spend some time learning what they are so that you're safe obviously but it's not I think people are just scared by how much they need to learn but actually if you do it all the time it becomes almost like a second nature like driving a car you know, people can get in their car and they're operating this mad part mad machinery, which is dangerous really. Yeah. But they're so comfortable and confident with it that yeah. there's no fear. Yeah. And it's the same with even foraging. with the
2: mechanics. It's like far beyond everyone's knowledge. Yet yeah, they drive it, so yeah. yeah. They don't really
1: understand what they're driving, but they're driving it unconsciously. Yeah. Um and it's the same with, with foraging. You don't have to understand how the plants grow or how they work, but you do you do start to learn when they grow and you start to become in tune with the seasons and you start to learn it naturally. And, and you, it's just, just a matter of practice and doing it all the time that makes you conf- confident and comfortable with the plants and the flavors and eating them. And
2: yeah, wow! just
1: start. <laughs> That's all I can say. Yeah. Just start at it.
2: That sounds so cool. I can't believe how much you can like, like you say, like you So it must be like really good. Um, it must be good for the wallet as well, because you're like going out. It's like exercise. You're out, you're getting fresh air yeah. and you're like gathering food. Do you, do you think that like if too many people got into it that it would become unsustainable? Yeah.
1: The 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 very simple answer to that is it that that's never going to happen. Yeah. Um and that's because most people are lazy, which is a really horrible cynical thing to say, but yeah. it's it's completely true. Um I did a project in because the family foraging kitchen is a, a social enterprise as you know. Um, So we like to give back to the community and one project we did in 2014 was called free food forever and it was to help low-income families on the peninsula receiving food boxes who were struggling to get by not putting any fresh nutrition into their diet. We offer them free 100% free foraging walks so free knowledge come out with me once a uh, a month through the seasons and I'll show you what you can eat how you can utilize it Um, and this is all this free food It's, it's amazing and I thought I would have people knocking my door down to come on these courses. Yeah. But people, you know, the, the questions would be, do I have to go outside? What if it's raining? What if it's cold? How oh, far really? are we going to walk? How long is it going to take? Yeah, you know. So so actually people, they're so used to this convenient culture of yeah. let's do an Asda shop and arrive. And who and can arrive. blame them in you a know? Way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you, there is a commitment to having to put a jacket on, get a basket, get a pair of scissors and walk yeah. <laughs> and be outdoors. But um, I cannot tell you how good that is for mental health, for one. Mm. Um, if you are feeling down or low because you haven't got much money, um, you know, it will it will naturally lift you up. You're coming back with a basket full of nutritious, beautiful, exciting ingredients, and you might look at them and think, "Well, what on earth am I going to do with them now?" You know, yeah. but there is so much now online. There are so many books and resources tailored around these ingredients. You know, it's nothing new now. Foraging is bang on trend. It's, yeah, you know, it's a hipster thing to do. Um, but actually, if you're feeding a family of four. Right now, the nettles are beautiful. Go out and get a big bag of nettles. There are fifty-two recipes that are beautiful and fulfilling and nourishing that you could do with that one ingredient. Wow. So it's just, it's just about thinking outside the box. Yeah. Um. And also, you you create your dinner plan based on what's in season. Okay. In the hedge. So for me, I mean, I know, I know, because I know the seasons really well now. What's out there? But if I was to take myself for a walk in the morning. <laughs> look to the hedgerow or the coast I would see six or seven things that were beautiful and fresh in season then I would think what am I going to cook yeah so what am I going to cook is the second question and then if I need to go and get some rice or potatoes or beans to supplement those ingredients yeah then you do yeah and you can do that really really cheaply because you're yeah. not buying in bulk uh-huh. so you've got your, your your main ingredients in front of you and then you might need you know a small bag of rice or a tin of kidney beans So actually just you save yourself a heck of a load of money because you're not looking at what's on the supermarket shelf and hoarding all these massive you know big a big shop a big buy yeah most of which will go in the bin you're you're doing it day by day what's in the hedge what can i pick what do i need to go with that so
2: it's it's amazing, like I'd very jealous of like your knowledge because it's um to me it sounds like such a daunting prospect to like I'm so I'm so used to going to like Whittacoms and I I do eat like good food, but at the same time like I do like buy, like I love like hummus, I love all these things, you know, I'm like still very emotionally attached to food, even though I'm like really trying to like have a good relationship, a healthy relationship with it. I'm far away from being able to like go out and
1: no, because you're the perfect person, because you are you love food, because you're a foodie and you yeah. you enjoy food. You, you don't lose that connection to shopping, going into the shop. That is still part of your life. But it, it, it will change what you eat seasonally, I suppose. Yeah. And, and also you're going to be eating, you know, I mean, there are some non-native species, but you really are eating British native yeah. species in season that's fresh and right for your body right now. And yeah. Quite often you find that what is in season and fresh and right now has a, a nutrient or a property which is medicinal for where you are at that time of the year. So all the iron rich plants are out right now, you know, because we've had a few few months of really indulgent heavy foods mm-hmm. and we've you know, we've really enjoyed ourselves, maybe partied a bit hard and now all these detoxifying tonics, spring tonics are, are out in the hedgerow, ready to nourish our bodies again and make us strong to hit this year running. Um, and you don't have to take away that supermarket shop, that Whittacombs visit, yeah. you know, you, you'll gather something nice and then you'll go, right, what can I go into the shop and buy to put with that to turn it into a, a really beautiful dish? Yeah, it's not survival. It's not about, you know, let's save some money and just eat weeds to no. You know, it's, it's not about that. It's about creating beautiful, almost gourmet dishes. In a So way. how many times do you forage in a week? Um, I forage every day. Oh wow! So a lot of people will say, "Oh, I haven't got time to do that because I work full time." But I work full time, and I'm a busy mum. You know, we live in Cornwall. We're very lucky. We live on the Rain Peninsula, and there are just there's wild food on every walk that you go. You walk down to the village, you're going to pass three or four species of beautiful ingredients. You know, wow! Just growing in the hedge. Just growing in the hedge. So if we took a walk from here to my house, which is what a two minute walk, we Mm -hmm. could see five or six, seven delicious. Wild edibles that we could go. Okay, well they're out. We'll pick a few of those. What are we going to make for dinner now? What do we need to get from the shop on the way home? So it's you don't have to dedicate hours and hours of time. Mm -hmm. It's just knowing, even if you got to know ten. You can integrate it. Yeah, you can just integrate it. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely.
2: And it's so nice. Like I, me, and like Natasha walk all the time with River. We're always out walking. So there's no reason why that couldn't be integrated into like our lifestyle. Just always, always
1: take a plastic bag in your pocket and a pair of scissors, or if you, or invest in a nice basket. Or yeah. have, a, have a Tupperware box in your, ba- in your rucksack. Always. Because there w- no matter where you go, there will be something to, to bring home with wow. you. Really, and honestly and truly, even if I go to Plymouth, and you would think, well, what on earth is there in an urban environment? Yeah. There are certain plants in Plymouth which I can't get on the Rain Peninsula. Oh, wow. So, for example, outside the aquarium, there's loads of sea buckthorn bushes. I don't know if you know what sea buckthorn is. No. Really little, tiny orange berries, which are so high in vitamin C, more so than an orange. And they're really tart, but they're absolutely beautiful orangey lemony flavor when wow. you when you add a little bit of sweetener to them they're just they blow your mind they're fantastic yeah so if i'm going to play <clears> tub, i'll be like oh, okay i'm going to take my tupperware box because i'm mm-hmm. going to get some sea buckthorn berries on the way home which is something i can't get from this side so yeah. wherever you go wherever you go just then you don't have to come back with anything but if you've got that you know your tub there yeah then you can
2: it seems like this knowledge at this point in time is so important because of this kind of looming kind of worry of global collapse that seems to be in the back of everyone's mind yeah. like it's just it seems like you could yeah it's a really good like it's, it's really important knowledge to have isn't it at this point in time I well think. yeah we just
1: live in a really unsustainable food culture <clears throat> you know we've got this mag, mad, mad mass agriculture going yeah. on and it is unsustainable. And I think there's going yeah. to be... I mean, we can see it now. I don't want to get into politics too much. But with, with this looming Brexit and, and, you know, all this, oh, there's not going to be this, that, and the other to buy in the supermarket. I think, really, the, the, we're pushing back to a way of... Almost like <clears> World War Two, when it was you have to grow your own you know Mm. make do amend and dig for victory and all this i think if you have the ability to be able to feed yourself and sustain yourself and nourish your family for free that's a real power that nobody can take away with you in fact i think that's the last true freedom we have left as human beings yeah the ability to be able to feed yourself and look after yourself for free so so yeah i think it's it's definitely the way forward and definitely what we need to instill in our children that there is a world outside of glowing supermarket lights and shiny packaging yeah and and what food is and where it comes from Uh and and exploring food history because it's not something that's taught in schools Mm. it's not something that's delivered in that way in fact i work with schools and i always say to kids where does food come from and the number one answer is asda
2: really
1: so that is for them food is from a shiny building with shiny floors
2: and that's that's where we've come so modular our life now isn't it like food here (laughs) this there it's there's it's it's a bizarre time isn't it
1: people don't see food out growing outside in that in in a wild environment as food they'll look at it and i'll I'll pick it up often especially with children i'll be like you can eat this and they'll go what if a bird has pooed on it or oh like what what you know it's not (laughs) so it's like what do you think food is (laughs) where where does food come from yeah so it's it's that microbial
2: um sort of exchange as well is so important for our guts isn't it like the food the sanitation and food and the way it's all washed or bleached in some circumstances yeah. like that that's it like the the mud is so good for us isn't it we're yeah. so afraid of what's there to nourish us mm-hmm. god i had a i had a really interesting question a second ago and i just forgot sorry about it. i took a lot no i just started <laughs> thinking about mud and i um and i kind of lost track i'll, I'll have a little look that's at okay. my sheet oh that was it yeah do you feel like um when when we, you were talking about eating locally in season do you feel like like viscerally more connected to the land like in a in like a spiritual sense at all do you feel that there's a kind of like yeah I don't know how to explain it really because it's quite an an etheric idea but like does it give you a kind of um connection to the land which you would not get from a supermarket
1: yeah absolutely I think you, you become very protective over over the land for a start. So. I get really upset if I see anyone abusing the landscape with putting little dog poo bags on trees or littering and things. So you become very protective over what's there because you see it in a different way. It's not just a beautiful place where you live. It's, it's a resource and, it's, and yeah. it's food So on the one hand. But also the more you learn about the plants that are here and their history and especially the native plants, you do become very spi- spiritually connected to them. Um, and one example of this um, would be with the blackthorn. And how long blackthorn has been in this country and the myths and legends associated with it. I was doing a workshop with children, and we found that um, old witches used to carry blackthorn um, spikes with them to ward off evil spirits or they would plant blackthorn trees over the graves of their ancestors to stop them coming back as zombies because blackthorn would keep people in the ground. And mm. and so you start you start learning about the history of how our ancestors have been connected to these different plants and what their uses were. Yeah. And then aside from that history, you start to think about the, med- the medicinal value of them and, and what, what they do for you in, in a medical way. And then also just being with them, how that enhances your, your mental health. I mean, we spoke about how foraging is good for mental health. But when you're picking something, from a plant and saying thank you to it for giving you what it is you're you're actually you, it's a tactile thing you're touching that plant you're being mm. with it and you look around you and you see all of a sudden that it's a beautiful sunny day and you mm. hear the different birds and you're seeing the butterflies come past sensual and it's very sensual and you kind of you have to stop and look and go crikey this is where I live and this this is what's here yeah and that's just from being with one plant
2: huh.
1: so it's yeah you do it is a spiritual thing I think it is it's much more than just taking something to nourish yourself. You're you, you're, you're connected to exactly what's going on. Yeah. And, and in that time of year It's as fulfilling well.
2: so many needs, isn't it? Like yeah. in, in like a one hour and it's such a basic thing, such a natural basic when thing. And it slows
1: you down. We live in such a fast paced culture and I'm guilty of it too. Everything's got to be, I've got a list of a hundred things to do and I run from here, there and everywhere and I don't really have time to breathe. Yeah. But when I'm picking food for my family, I'm allowing myself that time to stop and pick those ingredients and think about how i'm going to use them mm. and then it, it slows you down to stop and just take a breath and appreciate where you are so yeah. there is a definite connection to
2: the gratitude is important <coughs> yeah. isn't it that's such a you know like people saying grace around a dinner table is is like a fun it serves a function within us doesn't it it's not it doesn't have to be this like you know this argument about well, oh, where's it going who's listening it's more an internal yeah. an appreciation thing that's like it's it's you do practical. get you do get
1: some looks. You know I do I do say thank you to the plants and I do hug trees and <laughs> I do you know people do think I'm this weird crazy weird hedgy lady. But okay, yeah, but okay. I really I really couldn't care less because when I'm when I'm hugging a tree and I'm saying thank you to that tree for giving me its blossom or for giving me its fruit, you know, yeah. I, I have a real a real friendship with that tree who's been oh. here for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, and you know it's just it gives it gives me something so much more in a way than hugging a human yeah there's so much wisdom in it and just there's something oh, really they, powerful are they about so it solid. they are solid but they are very reassuring yeah. there is something beautiful about pressing your cheek to bark and it, you know I think people think I oh, just hippy dippy nonsense but I think if you're if you're in any way stressed or busy or you know all these things just get us down <clears throat> get us down go and hug a tree and and just spend some time with it. You'll feel a hundred percent better. I can promise you. And my kids do it too. They'll go and run and hug trees and, I think if the, if it's normalised, this could, if it doesn't have to be hugging a tree. Just just an appreciation for nature and yeah. for understanding what's there, and you know, not spraying it in chemicals and cutting it down and mowing it down and trying to control it, which is a very British thing to do. We're um, very
2: much about but, a lawn, aren't yeah. we? Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. Neat and tidy
2: lawns. Keep Britain
1: tidy. And in one respect, it's yes, we should be tidy. We've spoken about tidiness, yeah. but there is a real freedom in in rewilding and about letting something grow and yeah. just be and and letting something breathe as it should be um organically and how, yeah. how how that can make us feel yeah wow um
2: oh yeah that was what i was going to ask you um could you be could you be like eating a foraging diet and be a be vegan yeah. and and live like quite healthily yeah 100
1: um cool. there is very little nutritionally that you can't find growing in the wild that your body needs i think b12
2: yeah but something. then that comes from the, the ground right but in yeah. The dirt. yeah so yeah. that's as long as you don't wash them too much
1: yep yeah, exactly um absolutely a vegan diet what what i mean bringing it back to just one plant source i spoke about kelp earlier but if you look at what what nutritional values in a piece of kelp there literally is everything that the human body needs there to survive including proteins mm. so people get very um they get het up about veganism for some reason like what even on a normal without the wild food you know what What are you lacking as a vegan? What you should be eating? Well, actually, I think you're probably eating a lot better and putting more nutrients in your body if you're following a vegan diet properly because Mm -hmm. you're being conscious of what you need to find in replacement of meat and dairy, essentially. Yeah. So um, even things like gorse flowers, those beautiful little yellow flowers, they're full of protein. Oh, really? People don't realise that. They're quite protein-rich. And they're also a natural antidepressant, so you're giving yourself some happy hormones at the same time as that protein... Um, But yes, you can. I think with any diet, you just need to have a balance of everything on the plate. So when you if you're seeing an ingredient and you want to make it vegan, just make sure that within that makeup of your dish, you're at least getting some protein in there. And there are loads of plants which have that as well. So
2: cool. Like that's that's awesome. Like it's that it's so surprising to hear that we do have this like kind of protein myth. Yeah. Like there is this myth that like, like who have you ever heard who's protein deficient? You don't get it. You hear of mineral deficiencies. You hear of like lack of iron, which I suppose is is abundant in like beef and stuff. But then it's not non-abundant. Like you were just saying that in in the nature at this time of year, there's iron abundant plants popping up all over the place.
1: There's more iron in nettle than there is in, in most meats, actually, when you start to look at per per gram of what's in a plant compared to what's in a a meat product. You'd be really surprised about what what the differences are. So I think it's just... I think what our culture focuses heavily on meat as a centerpiece or as a, as the center of our diet, meat or dairy. So when they're creating a dish quite often, they're thinking, what meat am I going to have?
2: Yeah. What orbits this meat? And then
1: what will go around the side, you know, what, what can we get away with putting on the side and having a look at? Whereas when I approach a dish, the vegetables are the main show. So I'm thinking, what are all these salad vegetables or vegetables? And then, okay, protein is a secondary thought. What protein do I need to put with this? Whether it be a lentil or a kidney bean or, you know, some tofu or something. Um, but, yeah, you don't... I think, yeah, we are obsessed with... We're too obsessed with meat and dairy, and I don't think we need to be. I'm not against it. I'm no. not against eating it sustainably, but life becomes so much more exciting when you're thinking outside yeah. of those products.
2: Yeah. It's a, it's a tough one in the wild now. Like, people are... There's a real political, cultural war going on over the dinner table at the moment, isn't there? Yeah. And food is so... um it's such a animalistic uh, relationship we have with food, isn't it? Because it's like fats and kind of, you know, like if you disturb a dog when he's eating kind of thing, they can turn. And I think we're kind of the same. And that's kind of what's happening in the world is people are, people are saying you shouldn't eat like this. You shouldn't do this for better or for worse. I'm, I follow a vegan diet Yeah, Like yesterday, you know, I did, did Cambo and I do, I do. And sometimes I eat honey and there are, I am slightly gray around the edges. um, But even even with veganism like it's it's hard like i i hate sometimes i don't like the any labels at all Uh, yeah i was gonna say it's because you put a label on it that's the problem i think don't don't put a label on food can represent me something that i say i am someone can be really rude and actually do that and many times not do animals a favor due to the way they're approaching it i think it's all about like trying to inspire people to make better choices And I think that as well is like, you know, even if it's vegan, like if it's wrapped in loads of single use plastic, then it's still no good. And you can just dig deep, deeper and deeper and deeper all the time. And it's, it is hard because it's like, it becomes a bit of an occupation. You have to really address like all of these things. But I think the cool thing is like, I don't know, the more people that do it, the more, the more like businesses will follow kind of naturally. But then also, The more kind of like, the more sort of like foraging and stuff that can be done, the more that, you know, there's benefit. the, The more you put into it, the more you get out of it as well. It seems really daunting at first, but you can just do it like bit by bit, slowly, slowly. And then.
1: Yeah. I think you just have to stop giving yourself a hard time. I think people think, oh, right, what is my diet doing? What do I need to be? What is the latest best way to do something? Is it being a vegan or a vegetarian? Or I think you just need to scrap all of those labels and think, what am I doing myself? that's ethical and I think when people say to me oh, what, what are you a vegetarian are you a vegan my answer to that is I'm an ethical eater to the best mm-hmm. of my ability mm-hmm. you know if someone if I go to someone's house and they have they're serving venison um with a salad I'll eat it you know because I, I don't have a restriction on myself of what I w- will and won't put in my body but when I'm trying to feed my family and myself and I'm gathering for myself and I'm cooking meals I'll try to be as ethical and responsible yeah. as I can without single use plastics and without it it's very mm-hmm. difficult in this culture to, to get away with everything it's I mean it'd be insane to burden yourself into into trying to go 100% without all of those things yeah. I mean, we're all human and like you say there's no black there's no white there's grey areas but I think just you don't need to put yourself into any pigeonhole or any box you just need to do your best with what you have mm-hmm. around you yeah. and if you're living a largely foraged wild diet you know, a lot of these problems are naturally taken away from you because yeah. you don't need to add an awful lot to that to mm. get by. And so, you will find yourself using less plastic. You will find yourself eating less refined foods and processed foods and packaged goods. You're gonna have a you're gonna have a, a very different attitude to to food it, in your in your kitchen. Yeah. But don't give yourself a hard time if you then want to go and buy a piece of cheese wrapped in plastic, or if you want to go and eat a green and black chocolate bar with some foil around it, because you're doing it so so little that you still need to enjoy yourself and enjoy your food yeah so yeah
2: it's important as well not to do extreme make extreme changes too quickly isn't it I I hear people say because then the most people just mostly think oh it's too hard and go straight back to their own way it's like slowly slowly bit by bit day by day just make small changes what I got from what you just said is that like it seems like it seems like when we make choices in certain modes like if we make it out of greed we're more likely or like or like gluttony like I want to eat that you're more likely to but if you do something out of like awareness and you're saying when you're out foraging it sort of breeds an awareness in you it's kind of like bringing that to the table all the time it's like a yeah it's like a really it kind of just happens naturally it like does. Yeah,
1: it does. I think it, if if you're, I think you have to be a bit of a foodie really to 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 adopt this lifestyle. There there are people which don't really take enjoyment for food. They see food as something to sort of just get them through the day. Yeah. And there's no real love or passion for food. So I think if you're going to seriously go down the the route of wild food and ethical eating, then you need to love food. Mm. I think that's important. Um, because if you if you don't love food and you're just doing it to get by, you're not going to have the imagination necessarily with that produce to to make it work for you yeah did you see what i mean i mean an example of that is with with something that's in season now let's just go back to nettles because i love them and they are, they are just they're easy for everyone everyone knows what stinging nettle is, but how many of us actually eat them yeah um i was thinking today um, when i was getting the kids ready right we're going to go and get some nettles this afternoon what are we going to do with them let's make our own pasta okay what do we need to do that we need some flour and that's it and some some eggs so it might be a bit dif- difficult for do vegan no, because yeah. you could use chickpea water, at Crefaba, yeah, aquafaba, and you could do yeah. that. So I think you do need to have that sort of love for what am I going to cook? What am I going to eat? What do I like eating? Yeah. But if you have a little bit of that in you, then you're going to find this path really easy because you're thinking, what do I love to eat? Yeah. What do I crave the most? What's out there which is going to that's going to help that craving? So yeah, so you can still be you can still be a glutton and be greedy and look at the hedgerow and lick your yeah. lips because there's so much. There is so many <laughs> beautiful things out there that you can create. Nice.
2: Yeah. Um, if anyone wants to get into Foraging, what do you think's the, the best way to do um, it? Um
1: invest in a good book to start with. Um you can use the internet but there are there are certain uh Pit, pit holes, potholes with that and that there are there are a lot of people doing things out there and not all of them are correct sometimes i'll see a youtube video and think oh they're they're talking about burdock and they'll be looking at a completely different plant and you think how has that been allowed to get put on the internet yeah. so get a really good book a good one to start with um the oldest of the best is richard maybe food for free and that book was written way before foraging was a fashion and a thing it was written in the early 70s i think don't quote me on that but it's a very old book um and the hardback version is the best one just to go on your coffee table and it's going to be about five quid on amazon now yeah. or something like that but it's got a really really great um all the common british plants are in their photograph and drawing and where to find them in season wow and they also do collins do a little pocket variety of that which you can just put in your rucksack when you're out and about um so start with a really good book and then if you can afford it go on some courses um, find someone who does it do a year I always say to people one year is probably enough once a month just go out watch how the seasons change and just if you learn just one plant a month so let's say you've got to learn 12 plants in a year that really isn't a lot it really isn't but with those 12 plants you're probably going to have about 150 new recipes so that you know or, or ideas in the kitchen and then you go out the next year and you'll see those plants coming back up again. It's like greeting an old friend. It's like, oh, it's January again and here are the Yellow Alexanders. We can we can use those like asparagus. Oh cool, what are we gonna have with asparagus tonight? You know, what what goes nicely with that? So um you very quickly get a, a quick um collection of of plants together if you spend a year with it. I don't recommend going out without any sort of guide mm-hmm. when you've first started, because there are some things in the hedge that are harmful. There's very few that will kill you, but there are some that will. Yeah. Um, so be careful not to make mistakes. But most things that you think, that you know anyway, instinctively, for growing up around here, you can eat. Things like dock leaves. Mm. Everyone knows what a dock leaf looks like. They're a cabbage or a spinach. Yeah. Everyone knows what a stinging nettle looks like. That's like a cabbage or a spinach. Um, all seaweeds that are growing on the rocks, you can hand harvest all of them, and they are edible wow so you can't go wrong with seaweed so if, you, if you're if you really into pastas and italian food then start looking to the coast if you live here mm. Um so there's there's so much which is really obvious that once you actually start to look you'll see and you think well why aren't i eating this why am i walking past it every day and and you know, not putting it in my diet. It it's, doesn't make any sense, you know. It's
2: starting to seem ridiculous to me, the way we live, you know.
1: <clears throat> I know. So people it's will, crazy. I mean, for a really classic example of the stupidity that I find is the orchard. We've got a community orchard growing um, down by the lake here yeah. that fruits every year with these wonderful varieties of apples and plums. And, and every year they just get wasted and left on the ground. Very few people go and pick them. But at the same time of year, people will be going down into the co-op and buying a bag of six apples covered in plastic. And I'll say to people, "Why do you not realise that the orchard has got loads of apples?" "Oh, yeah, but I didn't think you could eat those." Like, "What are they apples? Oh, no. They're apples. You can There's not an apple you can't eat." Yeah. So it's just about kind of almost picking yourself up and going, "What am I doing? What am I? Why am I going to the shop first? Don't go to the shop first. Go and walk around the lake. If you can't find anything to eat there, fine, go to the shop. But if open your eyes and see what's there, and you will be absolutely amazed. Right now, all the wild garlic is out. All the three-cornered garlic." it's very easy to identify have a look in a book what is three-cornered garlic okay that's you can't confuse that with anything poisonous go and pick some bring it home do something with it you know it's just there is food everywhere you've just got to open your eyes awesome
2: um how can people get uh where where are you online and stuff if people are interested in coming on Um, one of your walks
1: so uh our website is familyforagingkitchen.co.uk uh, all our walks are listed for the rest of the year so we do one a month through the seasons and we try to keep them really affordable. We're the cheapest in the UK which sounds like a strange thing to brag about but um, we are £20 a ticket, that's for three hours and a cookery class children come for free. But if you're a low income or no income because we're a social enterprise, then you can come along for free anyway. You just apply to us, quick application form, just stating your income. And you can come on any walks for free. So wow. there should not be a barrier for anyone to come and learn yeah, this great. knowledge. And I'll do the same thing if you want to get a private group together and go out somewhere. Maybe your favourite walk where you walk all the time, walk your dog or whatever, mm-hmm. and you want to know what's growing there. I even do back gardens. So if you want me to come in your back garden and tell you what's growing there that you can eat that's not planted. Um as long as there are six of you um, that works out the same, 120 quid, so twenty quid a ticket, or if you just want to pay 120 quid, I'll come anywhere you like. Cool. So I'm trying to make it accessible for everyone. Um, there's lots of things on the website, not just wild food, we do countryside craft courses as well. So if you're interested in beekeeping or hedge laying, coppicing, we do all of that too. Awesome. But I am your wild food guide. <laughs> yeah.
2: I'm so glad. You're just down the road. Yeah, I am. I'm not far away. <laughs> Thanks so much.
1: No, you're very welcome. Cheers. Thanks for having me.